Are you struggling with kids fighting, yelling, and more despite listening to the podcast and reading all the books? Parenting can be so overwhelming and exhausting. You know, I see you and I have something that will help. Mindful Parenting SOS. I'm offering free live mindful parenting sessions starting Monday, May 6th. Basically, live mindful parenting lessons that you normally have to pay for. So if you struggle with getting your kids to listen, tantrums, misbehavior, and feeling the guilt of yelling at your kid, then you should definitely get your spot in Mindful Parenting SOS. I'll be there to answer your questions in person, and if you can't make it, we will have replays available. Don't wait to get your spot now. It's free. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS to register. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash SOS. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 171. Today, we're talking about my silent retreat with myself and Oren Sofer. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. A Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting course, soon to be a membership program, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans. Welcome. I am so glad you are here today. This is a very special episode because I am having Oren Sofer back on the podcast. He was not here. He was here. He was not here that long ago is what I meant to say. He was here pretty recently in January in episode number 152, How to Talk to Kids. Very, very popular episode. I think it's one, maybe the number two most popular episode now. So if you haven't listened, check it out. But um, Oren has come back because I recently went on my first ever seven-day silent meditation retreat with the Insight Meditation Society, and Oren was one of the teachers. So I invited him back on the podcast to talk about that with me. So first, let me just tell you a little bit about him. Oren Sofer teaches mindfulness, meditation, and nonviolent communication in both secular and Buddhist contexts. And he's the author of the book, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication, which is a practical guidebook for having more effective, satisfying communication, which is so what we need as parents. Okay. And so he was there as my teacher when I went on this seven-day silent meditation retreat. And it was a loving-kindness meditation retreat with the wonderful teacher Sharon Salzberg. But let me just give you the lay of the land. Like, not only was there no talking, which could be hard, right, for a podcaster. Here I am just talking to you away. But also no reading, no writing, and no contact with the outside world for seven days. So what was that like? Ah, you're gonna you're gonna hear as we talk about it. And Oren talked to me about it just a few days after I came home from that retreat. So you'll learn what it was like when I cried, the benefits of the experience, and a lot more. So, you know, 
I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. It was really quite a remarkable experience for me. I have been on many retreats before, but always with little kids around so, or with talking. So they were never silent and it was a whole different experience. Yes. So if you like this, I invite you to make sure you check out the mindfulmamapodcast.com page for the show notes for this episode number 171, because we're going to include images of my drawings from the retreat. And we're going to try to include images and link to the Dharma talk from the retreat. But before we dive in, I just want to let you know that I am still enrolling incredible mamas into my mindful mama transformation coaching group. And you can find out more about that at mindfulmamamentor.com slash unmartyr. And I'm very excited to let you know that during the five months of the group coaching, which will be August through December for this year, we're going to have an added bonus in that you will have access to the whole mindful parenting course during that time. So we have added this in and we're so excited about it. It's a whole big bonus worth, you know, about $500. So I'm so excited to share this with you. And we already have spots gone in these groups, but we have some spots available. So do you want to work with me? Do you want to learn how to become that calm, peaceful parent that you're wanting to be? Do you want to have the confidence to know what to do in those tricky situations? We learn about communication, learn about how to create relationships that are really fully satisfying, getting your needs met, and really creating a foundation. The work we do creates a foundation that makes incredible differences in people's lives. It can really be a touchstone turning point experience in people's lives. So I invite you to learn more about that at Mindful mamamentor.com slash group coaching. And now come with me to the table as I talk to Oren Sofer about my crazy silent meditation retreat. Oren, thanks so much for coming back on the Mindful Mama podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Hunter. So soon. And of course, I asked you back on because we were just on retreat together in Barry Mass in at the uh, Loving Kindness Meditation, Insight Meditation Retreat with Sharon Salzberg was there and, and Greg and Winnie and other people. It was, uh, and it was my first silent meditation retreat and I was, had trepidation going into it. So I've invited you back on here to come talk about that retreat with me, which yeah. you were a teacher. Yeah, yeah. It's great that you had the opportunity to do it. And uh, yeah, I'm really curious to hear about your experience, all the different components of being in silence for seven days, being away from your kids, and the loving kindness practice, which as you as you know, is a very, very powerful practice and not not always easy. You know, we have these ideas about going on retreat and practicing loving kindness, and it sounds so great. <laughs> And then we get we get in there and it can be challenging. So yeah, I'm happy to be here and talk about it and kind of a reverse interview a little bit, which will which will be fun. <laughs> I get to ask you questions. <laughs> yeah, a little reverse interview. 
Yeah. So I, I definitely had some trepidation going into it. To give you some background, I had done a bit, fair bit of traveling this spring. In April, I did my own retreat in Costa Rica. And then the week after that, I went to a conference for like four days. So I'd kind of been away from my family for a little bit. So I was feeling a little bit guilty <laughs> and a little bit like not, you know, like, okay, here we go. I'm doing this. But not totally gung-ho, I suppose, mm. going into this, which I mm. imagine a lot of people are, I don't know how people feel going into this kind of thing, but that's how I felt anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what were the first few days of the retreat like for you? Having never been on a silent retreat before, it's often quite an adjustment to be in silence with no reading, no writing, no cell phone no conversation other than the instructions we give in the mornings and the talks we give in the evening. And then that one, you know, meeting we have in the small group to talk about how it's going. How, how was that for you? Well, the first, I knew the like cell phone thing because I do my own business online would be hard. So I gave my cell phone over to the office. Like when I first got there that first night and that was, and said goodbye to my mom uh, who gave me a ride there. And I felt I was already like a little sad. But then that first day, the first day was really, really hard for me. I was really felt profoundly sad. Just missed my family a lot. I had been on other retreats before, but it was always with my children, Blue Cliff Monastery and the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh. And always there had been children there. So while I'd get this, there would always be this like sort of you know, maybe moments of silence technically, but there were children, so there was really no moments of silence. There were some, right? But not, you know, as much as you would want. But it, actually, I brought my drawings, Orin, because I gave my eyes that first day, I was so sad. I just like mm -hmm. cried as soon as they, everyone dropped their cell phones off. Mm -hmm. I just like sat on my cushion and cried. I remember, I remember seeing, seeing the tears come down and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was really sad that first day. I I finally like after the end of every that everything on the first day I came back and I I sh I brought it with you. I'll show you guys the listener. I'll po post these pictures if you want to see them. But here's this is my drawing of day one of the retreat. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's a self portrait for the listener yes. of me crying yes. and. This is not good advertising for meditation. <laughs> <laughs> it's a picture of Hunter with a very sad face and tears streaming down. So say more about what those tears were, because I know that I was very curious. It can, tears can come from a lot of different places. And what was going on for you inside as, as you, know, you entered the silence and had that kind of swell of emotion coming up? I think probably part of it, I was afraid to be alone, so alone. Mm. As a podcaster, right? I like to talk to people. I like to connect with people. I like to talk. And I think I felt really cut off. I guess I had been so, my life is so connected in a way, you know, like every always can be connected in any moment to everything I do. And then I was completely cut off. Like I kind of felt like I was like adrift. And um, I felt just this feeling like mm. I felt like I couldn't contact my family and that was just felt so mm -hmm. sad for me the mm -hmm. my children and and just mm -hmm. I guess it I guess it was just feeling 
it, it was the loneliness, I think. Mm-hmm. And I guess just feeling like, oh, here I am with all these strangers and I can't talk to anyone at all. And mm-hmm. it was yeah. it was very lonely for me. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot in what you said that I kind of want to dig into. Um, it can be really lonely and it's fascinating how um, even for those of us who do spend a lot of time alone and, you know, I certainly, I work from home, my partner's out working at the hospital during the day. And so I spend a lot of time quote alone. Um, But even when we're alone, it's a very different experience than the kind of solitude that being on a meditation retreat invites because of the context, right? Having all of our distractions and self-soothing devices and, removed or or relinquishing those, it really puts us in a very kind of naked place that we're alone with ourselves in a way that for many people, we haven't been maybe in a long time, like maybe since we were kids. And so it can be this big shock to the system to all of a sudden just just be there. And then it's it's fascinating how those connections with the people that we love um, kind of can rush in so powerfully right? And we feel mm-hmm. both the absence, but also the care and the intensity of the connection and the love. Yeah. Yeah. That describes it, I think, really well. That yeah. just this intense feeling of like, oh, I just love you so much, right? Like to my family, right? Yeah. 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 So so let's kind of look at the other side then of of two other questions, and maybe we take them one at a time, which is, so the silence is, and the solitude is obviously there for a reason. And for the listeners out there who've never been on a retreat, it can kind of sound like torture, like, wow, that sounds awful, <laughs> you know, like, I can't read, I can't talk to anyone, I can't look at the news, why would anyone subject themselves to that? So that, obviously- Those were thoughts going through my head day one. <laughs> <laughs> it's there for a reason. And so I'm curious for you, I can obviously talk about it. It's what I do for a living. But for you, what were- what were some of the unexpected gifts or outcomes of having spent a week like that in silence, both on the retreat, but then also when you went back home? I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back. 
with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts, starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Yeah, uh, so it was... After that day, after actually after talking to you in the small group, after sharing like kind of my sadness, then I was able to say, okay, I'm st- I'm here. I'm staying here. <laughs> I'm not going to plot my escape anymore. And um, I, the gifts were the gifts were profound. I really slowed down in a way that I um, I'm not sure I have slowed down for in a way mm. in a long long time and I'm I'm able to slow myself down a lot but I think my father said it best he because I was kind of t- talking to him about it he said you're kind of like an elderly person <laughs> I said yeah I kind of feel like an elderly person like I'm just happy to sit on a bench and just watch things go by mm-hmm. and it was really interesting like the first day I remember walking through this hallway to where my room was and saying oh what a pretty space Mm-hmm. connector space with plants there and then like by one of the last days I spent 20 minutes in this connector space mm-hmm. like just looking at the plants and enjoying mm-hmm. like looking at all the different details of them and mm-hmm. looking at the light and looking out the window and just perfectly content Mm-hmm. to to be there. So there really, I, I mean, it sounds a little cliche, but there what really was like a definitely a great sense of peace mm-hmm. that I had of just that there was mm-hmm. nothing I needed to do. There was nowhere I needed to go. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't restless. I was able to be there and just enjoy that space. I wasn't planning what I was going to be doing next. I wasn't right. judging myself. Yeah. I mean, it really was very quiet and very peaceful. I did, I really did notice the contents of my mind, which mm-hmm. was really interesting. My brain is like a, a radio station. <laughs> it really plays. You're not the only one. <laughs> oh my God. It's like song after song after song. Anything you guys would say, a song would pop up. Uh-huh. I, my brain plays songs all yeah. day long. Yeah. It was fascinating to see that. One of my meditation teachers talks about who's a monastic. He's been a, a Buddhist renunciate for for as long as I've been alive, actually, 41 years. And um, he talks about the first sort of six months of being a monk. And uh, he was doing a lot of solo silent meditation practice and just hours and hours of all of the songs he had ever listened to as a kid kind of running through his mind. So uh, it's a it's a common phenomenon. But you know, you you speak about the the contentment that can arise, and this is this is one of the purposes of the of the silence is to actually recognize that this reflexive habit, this this compulsive habit that we have, 
to always reach for something else to fill the moments of our life, to always be seeking something to do, something to read, something to eat, something to watch, anything to avoid just being with ourselves or with the moment. What we, what we see and what we experience in a silent retreat is often first that initial shock of the withdrawal, actually, from sensory stimulation. And that can come with loneliness. It can also come with intense restlessness. It can come with fear. It can come with frustration. There's all sorts of strong emotions that can come up in this kind of a, a detox period, really, for the mind. Um, but what we find often on the other side is, as you say, is, is that there's, there's a kind of more abiding sense of well-being and fulfillment that comes not from consuming anything, but just from being, just from relaxing and um, appreciating the the gift of being alive. And it, you know, it's it's powerful for me always to to reflect on and and speak about that when we look around the world today, and we look at what's happening to the planet and how our ecosystems and resources are being destroyed and devoured based on this rapacious hunger for entertainment and stimulation and pleasure and consumption. And one of the kind of gifts and sort of hidden jewels of contemplative practice is that we don't need any of that to be happy, Mm -hmm. that there's something else that we can touch inside that's self-sustaining and that's actually much more rewarding than any experience we can have through through consuming something. Yeah. It really was lovely to be able to, you know, just be able to enjoy the experience of walking, enjoy, you know, I'm not sure I like found like great enjoyment in my meditation. I'm not sure I ever like am like we, but <laughs> but especially and certainly enjoying eating and just for me the natural world and like the visual Mm -hmm. experience. I mean, I'm very visual person. So like that was just being able to appreciate all of those things. So part of what I did later in the retreat is I did drawings. I finally realized I was like, Oh, I give myself permission to draw because (laughs) even if I can't write drawing Mm -hmm. is a my, um, you know, life drawing is a mindful activity. Mm -hmm. You're mindfully observing. Mm -hmm. So this was my favorite tree Mm -hmm. and I drew on napkins, which was like Mm -hmm. sort of a self-limiting factor. And I drew leaves. I'm showing mm-hmm. or my pictures now. I'll post yeah. it for you, dear listener, and my Buddhas. Oh, lovely. And uh, yeah. <laughs> some yeah. more leaves and one last Buddha. That was it. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. just and, and it was interesting to me, actually, as an artist, to see that. And I didn't even, uh, after a while, I thought, oh, okay. Like that second day, I was like, oh, I went into this mode of like, I'm going to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. And I gave myself permission to draw. Mm-hmm. But then it was interesting by the last day, I didn't even need to, like, I didn't feel any mm-hmm. need to draw. I just yeah. felt, I just felt just to observe was enough. Just to be there was enough. It yeah. was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the, um, the meditation practice, and um, maybe I can say a few words about loving kindness practice for for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with it, and you can hear a little bit about your experience of of doing it in this sort of intensive way that we practice it on the retreat. 
so loving kindness meditation is a is an ancient practice. It comes from the Buddhist tradition. It's twenty six hundred years old. We have records of the um, Buddha actually teaching this practice to his followers and and monastics in ancient India. Um, uh, encouraging them to abide with a heart of kindness and well-wishing towards all all living creatures in this very um, radiant, um, expansive way of sort of opening the heart and resting with the wish for the well-being, happiness, and safety of all all living creatures, which is, is really beautiful vision. And so in the the technique that developed over the centuries, this quality is cultivated through the repetition of simple phrases like, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease. Those are some of the traditional ones. And the practice is done by thinking of a person in one's life, visualizing them in the mind, um, connecting with the sincere intention for their happiness and well-being, and then silently repeating these phrases. And so the progression of the practice is basically meditating all day um, on these phrases with the image and moving through different categories of people uh, and other living beings offering this wish and this this kindness, starting with people who are, who are close to, for whom it's very easy to share these wishes and working up towards more challenging people in our lives and eventually sharing it with all, all beings and, uh, and living creatures everywhere. So it sounds great. <laughs> and then obviously the reality of the practice uh, can be very different because we, we encounter all sorts of other things in our mind and doing it, which is, which is part of the point. So do you want to share a little bit about what your experience was of doing the practice intensively? Sure. Yeah. So for the first day, as Orin said, like uh, it was loving kindness either for oneself or a benefactor, if that was easy, like somebody who you just think of and you smile, you know. And I, I'm okay. I'm good offering loving kindness to, to myself. I've been practicing loving kindness mm-hmm. for a long time, but not quite in this way. And so that felt fine. You know, it felt good to do that. The interesting thing was just doing it for the duration of time that I had not experienced it. You know, we did something like four hours of sitting meditation a day along with walking meditation every day. And to practice, I guess it was more of an, it was an intensive concentration practice. Mm -hmm. And there, I would kind of go through waves. Like I would have waves of like, when if particularly if we're when we're guided in the morning, I could really sort of drop in and it felt you know there was like very it was lovely it felt wonderful to kind of open my heart in this to this loving kindness and then other times it was just felt rote and it just felt like I'm just mm-hmm. saying some words and it just I don't know it kind of felt like a little repetitious, but I took it into um, I did my, a yoga practice and, and I took it into that and I, I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, as we kind of moved through the days, you know, the first several days were 
good. You know, it was easy to offer loving kindness to a dear friend. It was, it was kind of fun to offer loving kindness to the neutral person. I just kind of, you know, peeked behind me and I was like, oh yeah, her, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen her very much or made formed some opinion about her. So I'll pick her. And she was my, my neutral person. And that was fun. And then it was interesting with the yeah. And I'll just say a few words about the what what you mean by the neutral person okay. for anyone who's listening and doesn't know. So the as one kind of uh, progresses through these categories, the idea here is that we're um, we're expanding a circle of affection. So usually we think about being kind and loving towards those we know, those we care for, those those we're close to, and the aim of the practice is actually to to slowly. Um, experiment with what's it like to dissolve those boundaries that I care about you and I don't care about you and you're worth my love and you're not worth my love mm. and and to run this experiment of what would it be like to actually have a heart of goodwill and kindness towards anyone and everyone and so in the trajectory of the practice and the progression as we move from very people who are very dear and close to us, we move on to someone who we don't have strong feelings for either way, who's called the neutral person. This is someone who's a stranger, um, who we don't have we don't care for one way or another. And it's a very interesting area to explore. What what is it like to wish someone well who we don't know? And this this category of the neutral person is a critical shift in the practice because there are approximately 7 billion neutral people for each of us in this world who we don't know and we've never met and we may never meet. And so what's it like to consider this person's humanity to recognize that this person wants to be happy just like me? You know, this person has dreams and hopes and fears just like me. And what is the effect on our heart of beginning to extend the circle of affection to include those that we normally overlook. And then that becomes sort of the doorway to actually beginning to explore what I swear I assume you were going next, which is those we have difficulties with or in the traditional text called the enemy, the person who <laughs> struggle with and exploring what it's like to have kindness for them. So I'll, I'll let you pick it up from there. Yeah, yeah. So the the difficult person, much to my mom's surprise, was not my dad, but... <laughs> I love you, Dad. <laughs> but was someone who was actually a dear friend for a long time and to reasons unknown to me, stopped kind of contacting me. And I felt very hurt by that for a long time. And, you know, I can still feel, you know, that sensation of that care and, and that sensation in my heart, you know, as I speak about it. But I took this person and I wished this person loving kindness and I and that whole idea of looking at this person and saying, okay, just like I want to be, even though I had been for a long time, I'd been hurt and just, uh, you know, a little bit of, I guess the word is animosity, but it, that's a little too strong, I guess, would come up for, mm -hmm. and, um, and then, but just recognizing, oh, this person wants to be happy, just like I want to be happy. This person wants to be safe, just like I want to be safe. And so... It was it was hard. It was challenging to wish loving kindness to this difficult first person for a little bit, but then um, it really did work. I suppose <laughs> success over the course of the day. I felt I feel 
like I sort of healed that mm. wound in some way over, over this difficult person. Um, I don't, great. I don't feel, you know, I'm like, well, I don't know what was going on for you, but I, I hope you're safe. I hope you're happy, you know, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. which that made, that was really gratifying for me. It made me mm. feel good to be able to let go of that and to, mm. um, yeah. Wonderful. Kind of forgive in that way, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and it's important to, to name here whenever we talk about this sort of thing that, you know, wishing well to someone who has, you know, the people that we have difficulty with in our lives are often pe- places where we've experienced pain um, or in some cases, maybe where someone has harmed us in some way, verbally, emotionally, sometimes even physically. And so it's really important to recognize that this is in no way suggesting that we condone that behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more looking at what is the effect on our own heart of harboring ill will? And you were you used that word animosity, right? We, we get to see the impact of those energies and uh, mind states on our own well-being Mm -hmm. and that when we hold on to bitterness or hatred or resentment we're the first ones to suffer that those states are actually damaging to our own well-being and so the practice is first and foremost to free and heal our own heart and that there's a dis- difference between wishing someone well and agreeing with or condoning their actions and that we can separate those. So it's, it's a very rich terrain to explore. And I'm, I'm glad to hear it sounded like you chose someone who was kind of just in the right zone. And this is one of the things that we talk about, as you know, on the retreat, when we get to that level of working with the, quote, difficult person to not start with the most difficult, challenging person in our life, but to start with someone who's kind of difficult, but where there's that possibility of really finding some traction and working with it. So I'm happy to hear that you um, chose someone that that there was enough to work with, but not so much that you got overwhelmed and that you're able to uh, sense the possibility of the transformation and the healing because that then becomes a template in the mind, as soon as we have that experience of shifting from the sense of separation and um, aggression or, or, or ill will towards someone to a different re- way of relating that says, well, you know, whatever happened, wherever you were coming from, just may you be at peace, may you be well. Um, that then becomes possible for other relationships, the heart sort of starts to learn, oh yeah, I can do that. I can shift out of those tight places into something that's more spacious and at ease and and beautiful really in, in my relationships. Yeah, yeah. What you practice grows stronger. Um, yeah, that's that's exciting for me. I like that idea. Yeah, and it just, it felt like for me, just like, Oh, you know, it's like, oh, I'm free of that thing now. <laughs> you right. know, not it's carrying like, that around anymore. Yeah, yeah, and that that was lovely. And then, so then the day after that, we did, and the, you know, it's funny. Like it was seven days, but I have to say, the feels like even as I on the drive home, I was like, wow, that that went by fast. It felt mm. oddly enough, but anyway, the last day we wished loving kindness towards all beings, and there was a wonderful. Um, 
meditation that Greg led us through where we divided mm-hmm. our sort of zone of awareness into quadrants and mm-hmm. wished loving kindness to in this one quadrant to all the beings in that area, including all the yes. people behind you in the hall, including all the animals in the forest, including the trees in the forest, the people in the offices, the beings that fly, the beings that are Mm -hmm. insects, the beings that are in the water, you know, just this kind of picking and describing all of the beings that you can imagine, which really helps you to get a sense of the vastness and, and of all of them. And that was wonderful. I really enjoyed that a lot. I felt very filled up with loving kindness in that day. And um, I, you know, it helped that it was this gorgeous day out and we could, you know, see all these, there are all these bees and the, like crab apple trees in the front and, um, mm. And, uh, but then that day I went for, I went for a run every day in this three mile loop on the street. And I went for my run that day and I was like feeling great as the sun went down. I passed this farmhouse that has goats and I was like, hi baby goats. They're (laughs) so cute. And I'm feeling, oh, may all beings be at peace, happy and healthy. And then I get around the corner to the pond and the pond was so beautiful that it struck me with this like really profound grief Mm. um, for what we're doing to our planet. Um, Mm -hmm. Just like I just felt, I mean, I can feel it now a little Mm -hmm. bit like just that just, I couldn't believe what we're, we're doing, how we're harming so many beings in our planet, how we're harming ourselves, how we're harming the beauty of this world. It was just so, um, it was like a huge grief and I just cried on the ponds of the rocks. Mm. And then I eventually, you know, came home, came back to the, the retreat center. And it was interesting after that, I kind of had to go back to wishing loving kindness for myself, kind of getting. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. And it was so perfect, Oren, because that night you spoke about equanimity mm-hmm. <laughs> and your whole talk, it was like spoke exactly to me. Like you spoke about like the quavering of the heart or something like that. And then equanimity. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly mm-hmm. what I need right now. Exactly what I needed at that moment. I was mm-hmm. so, I felt so sort of raw and open mm-hmm. and, you know, connected to everything. So I don't know if you can remember what you spoke to, but maybe you could share a little bit of what you said that night. Yeah. Um, It's a lot. You know, when the heart opens, we don't just open to the beautiful, lovely things. We open to the sorrow and the loss and the pain and the grief as well. And that's part of the, just part of the nature of things that we can't just pick and choose you know, I want the good stuff and not the bad stuff, that life includes all of it. And so um, equanimity is, um, is this kind of balance in the heart that has the space to be with the whole range of our experience, the joy and the sorrow, the pleasure and the pain, the success and the failure, the gain and the loss. And it comes um, from the understanding that this this is the truth of things, that no one escapes without getting a good dose of the difficulties, you know, and that we can look at people and think, oh, they've got it all, um, but we never know. And that the the reality is that hardship follows success just as surely as the out-breath follows the in-breath. And so equanimity is this very, um, very, very powerful quality that develops through contemplative practice slowly over time. And it's, uh, it's one of these four um, um, qualities that we can cultivate, loving kindness being the first, and then compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity being the other three. Uh, and so on that on that last night, I spoke, as Hunter is saying, about uh, this quality of equanimity, um, what it is, what it isn't, and and how to actually how to actually cultivate it. I was just checking online. It looks like they haven't published it yet, but it will be it will be available for folks to listen to on my on my SoundCloud account. And probably by the time your episode airs, yeah. Okay, cool. So if uh, we'll link it up in the show mm-hmm. notes, if that's okay with you, Erin, that'd yeah, be great. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, it was a great talk. So you guys, you can listen to it too. Just go to mindfulmamapodcast.com and this will be episode 
171. I actually know when this one's coming out. So um, we'll put Oren's talk in there. Yeah, kind of by that day, it was interesting. I was like a little excited to go home, but I was like, I felt so peaceful. I felt so relaxed. <laughs> I wasn't quite ready to go back to my cell phone yet. <laughs> Not yeah. sure I wanted my cell phone back. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, isn't it? To actually feel that like, oh, I don't actually want to look at that thing. I I appreciate the experience of being alive on its own. Yeah, it was funny because my mom drove me home to back to her house. And then I flew back to Delaware from there the next day. But she drove me back then the next day. And so we're in the car and wow, in the car, you know, the world is going by so fast in this beautiful countryside in Western Mass. I'm like, oh, it's mm -hmm. beautiful. And mom says to me, you know, so don't you think you should turn on your phone and tell Bill you're alive? <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I guess I should. And so I, I turn on my phone and I call my husband and I'm talking to him and it felt so strange to be, mm. have watched my attention both be on the phone and then also go out to the landscape mm -hmm. that was, and kind of move, see my attention move back and forth. And I had to tell, I had said, this is kind of hard to talk on the phone with you right now while I'm mm -hmm. also driving in the car, which um, as a passenger in the car is, you know, it's pretty normal thing to do, but mm -hmm. it, it felt so, um, yeah, it was a little, it was a little strange and challenging. I, I kind of wanted to just put down the phone and just look mm -hmm. out the window. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, um, it's fascinating to see the way our experience of life can change. And I think it's, it's important for me to, to connect what you're describing to the, the point of these practices, because we can, you know, we can go on a meditation retreat for a weekend or a week or longer and have all kinds of experiences that are different, right? Where our perceptions get altered, our experience of time changes, our experience of our body changes, our experience of our heart or our mind. And there can be these shifts in perception and experience um, that are, that are fascinating and novel. Um, that aren't the point in and of themselves. And that the, that the point is to start to actually see more clearly, uh, one, the, the richness and the complexity of being alive. And we start to actually recognize that when the qualities of mindfulness and concentration and loving kindness are not strengthened, that we're actually experiencing a very narrow slice of what it is to be alive. And that a lot of the time we're living through the world of our thoughts and, and really only tasting just the tip of the, of the iceberg of the full experience of being in a body and conscious. And again, I think this is something that we all know. You don't have to go on a meditation retreat to experience that. You know, we all have moments where we feel more open-hearted and connected and deeply alive. But what we learn on a meditation retreat is that those don't need to be random. Mm. That we can actually cultivate these mental capacities of 
mindfulness, concentration, kindness, equanimity, patience, all of these very healthy healing qualities that open us to the full experience of being alive. So this is one, um, one aspect of it. And then the second aspect is we start to actually learn how the mind functions. We start to see how the ways in which we think and perceive construct our world. Mm-hmm. And the the experience of noticing, oh, you know, there's all of this happening. There's the sound of my husband's voice. There's the phone that I'm holding. There's the image of him back in Delaware. There's the visual field in the car. This is all very ordinary. But part of what's happening is that the mind is taking in um, more deeply the actual moment-to-moment experience of being alive. And when we're doing that, we can also start to see how we begin to interpret and make stories about our experience. So it sounds like perhaps that conversation with your husband was rather, you know, ordinary and easeful. Um, but it's, it's not always the case, as we both know. And someone says something or something happens that stimulates us in some way. And then when we're not actually fully present and aware, the mind can start to create a whole story about what's happening and begin to add all sorts of layers of pain and, and suffering and resistance and animosity and confusion to just one statement something yeah. someone says, right? Like, oh, it's your retreat ended a while ago. You didn't call, you know? And hmm. perhaps instead of just recognizing maybe they're confused or they want to know what happened, we start adding layers of interpretation of it's not okay for me to have my own life or I don't have any freedom or you're trying to control me and, and this whole sort of world. So the the clarity of awareness that develops on retreat also helps us to to unhook from the ways that we add unnecessary complexity and suffering to our own life and and to others when we see more clearly what's actually happening. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think what I noticed most coming back um, was, well, it was actually, it was, what I really saw is I saw the suffering of so many, you know, everybody else's suffering. Like I saw, you know, um, just everyday actions like this, like, I don't know, someone smoking a cigarette, right? It's like, oh, this is like this thing you're doing to take care, you know, to not suffer so much. And then it was, it was interesting for me. So that afternoon, I say, okay, sit down to my computer and I'm mindfully (laughs) checking my email and checking my messages. And I actually got this message um, from a a friend, uh, a person that I was friendly with in in high school that my my ex-boyfriend from high school from when I was 15 and 16, we'd gone out for like almost two years or something like that, you know, it was very prominent time in one's life in that time. And um, that he had two days earlier, he had died of an overdose. And so it was like, whoa, just yeah. hit with this um, intensity of this somebody who had been someone mm. who was 
you know, in my life at a certain time was incredibly close to me um, to see that this, he had had that much suffering and that, that, that that's what happened, you know, and it just was, uh, it was such a, an extreme swing, right. To go from one day of this like Mm -hmm. peaceful contemplation of the crab apple smell Mm -hmm. to, to move to that the the very next day it was yeah. really really profound in some way yeah and how did you how did your heart handle that it's, you know what was what was your what was your what was it like your capacity to both feel the intensity of it fully and and also you know absorb it or like what was the what was the yeah. experience like for you well i think I remember feeling like when I got home, like my whole heart area, like literally physically the area of my chest from shoulder to shoulder felt open and it felt almost in a way like raw, but raw is a bad word for it because it has these negative connotations. It just open in a way. And so I felt that very much, but you know, it's, it felt incredibly poignant and didn't bowl me over. You know, I guess I had in some ways some of that equanimity, right? Like yes. I, I, I wasn't overwhelmed by it. I could just feel that feeling of, uh, wow, you know, just. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's the, that's the, one of the fruits of practice is that we feel things more fully and deeply and there's more resilience they don't they don't knock us down yeah. right and that's the fear is that well if i open my heart then that means i will become overwhelmed right i'll feel everything and i won't be able to function and what we find is that is it's actually quite opposite the opposite is that that the practice the practice grows in this way that we feel things more and our capacity to hold that also grows simultaneously. And then that the, the experience of life is richer. You know, we can feel the care and the heartbreak simultaneously. And there's a sense of space within which to hold it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's how, that's how it felt for me. Yeah. 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 Despite my, my heartbreakingly sad drawings from the first day, (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm very enriched by the whole experience. You know, it's interesting, you know, for me, I've been practicing meditation for 14 years now. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like the meditation part wasn't sort of the shock and awe part. The shock and awe part was just the disconnection. I think for me, you know, you know, thinking about it, I, I would really certainly recommend that people try a retreat, but maybe try like a three day mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> retreat before you dive into Easier thing. way in for <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 I was, um, it was nice. It was nice that you were there actually, even though we had only spoken on the podcast, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, familiar face. At least we've had a conversation before mm-hmm. <laughs> and having read your wonderful book, say what you mean. I knew I was like, well, I like the way this person thinks. Yeah. And Sharon Salzberg was wonderful. Just making yeah. everything so down to earth. So, yeah. 
so grounded, you know, it was, uh, but that she was a wonderful presence. I'm glad that even though she was recovering from some illness, she was able to come in the afternoons and I was really grateful for that. Yeah. So what is it like from your experience as a teacher though? Just, I mean, you've been, you've gone on many of these retreats and you've taught many of these retreats. Just briefly, I guess, like what is it like as a teacher to, to, to be there with all these people having these watch seeing me with tears yeah. running down my face or whatever. Well, it's, it's a very beautiful experience and it's a real, it's intense in its own way because, you know, one is responsible for the emotional and psychological well-being of a hundred people, you know, on these, on these larger retreats. So that's, it's a lot of, a lot of energy psychically to be plugged into everyone kind of going through each, you know, you think about your own experience and then multiply that times a hundred. I know. (laughs) So it's, it's, there's a certain intensity to guiding that experience for that many people. And it's also a great privilege and an honor. There's, there's a a beauty in um, supporting people to do that deep work of exploring their own mind and heart um, and, uh, healing and, and awakening, you know, opening up to, to what it is to be human. And each, each person's person's journey and path looks slightly different and they're going through their own challenges and, uh, joys and boredoms. Uh, and, um, you know, people are going through real, real life stuff, whether it's, uh, you know, someone's partner with a diagnosis at home or, you know, someone with real challenging situation with work or a legal battle that they're in the middle of. And so, you know, life doesn't stop just because you're on retreat. Um, but there's a, there's a poignancy and, uh, and a richness to bearing witness and getting to be part of people's life in that way. So I, I really enjoy it. It's um, it's one of the most rewarding things I do. Really, is leading leading these retreats because I really, I really sense that they have a lasting impact on people. You know that it's it's an experience that for most people becomes some kind of a touchstone in their life, mm-hmm. whether it's consciously or unconsciously. The the places that we come to on these retreats, which are not always, you know, happy places. It's, it's not that it's all sweet and light, as you know, but there's something about the, the rigor and the challenge of being with oneself and really learning to, to handle um, one's own heart and mind. There's a, there's a quality of dignity and resourcefulness and trust that that comes out of that and um that's a great that's a great honor to get to be a part of that for people Mm. well thank you for for doing that for for me and for my 99 other friends who are on retreat that i don't know what's their names and thank you also for for bearing witness for us today here on the podcast i really appreciate you absolutely thank you you're welcome. And yeah, thanks again for having me back. And uh, good luck with the book when it's uh, as it's in its phases of 
being born. Thank you. Forward to, to seeing it when it's done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. It was uh, a pretty amazing experience. I'm so glad I got to share this with you and have Orn come on and share this with you with me because I think he brought out so many of the deeper aspects. So I'm so grateful to, sh- to Orn for coming onto this podcast with me. Um, and I want you to hang on to the end of the episode because, well, during the retreat, we had chanting from um we had different chanting that was about loving kindness and things like that and we had this one chant that we chanted during the retreat that was basically said in in uh, sanskrit like may all beings have loving kindness and i it reminded me that there's a beautiful song that i use um in my yoga classes that uh says these same words And so I contacted the artist, Jane Winters, and she said that I could put the song at the end of the episode. So make sure you hang on for Jane's song and listen to that. And before we do, um, of course, if you have any questions, you can email me, hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com. You can join the conversation about this episode, either in the private Facebook group or on my Instagram page. And uh, you can find both of those at mindfulmamamentor.com. And I hope that you will check out the mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching, the Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching Groups. And it's a five-month group coaching program where you really get this sisterhood of positive peer support. You get lots and lots of one-on-one attention that really helps you go from get to a place of thriving. Like we don't want you to just be surviving. We want you to be thriving. There is just this one precious life. You should not have to be just making it through the days. This is all we get. So let's make it count. Let's really be present for it. Let's be present for our kids and have the best relationships we can. And that's really what this group is about. So I invite you to learn more um, and schedule a call with me. We'll talk um, at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. And now I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I'm wishing you peace. I'm wishing you some quiet and some stillness. And I'm so excited to leave you with this beautiful song from the Compassion Album by Jane Winters. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste.
I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.